What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And my guest this week and next is Mike Reese. Now, Mike Reese, that's a name that you have seen for many, many years. You probably don't know, but you should. He has been with The Simpsons for 30 years. Yes, 30 years. During that time, among other things, he hired Conan O'Brien. He also co-created The Critic. He was on The Gary Shandling Show. And he was fired off of any number of shows, including The Tonight Show. And for the last 12 years, he commutes between Los Angeles and New York to work a day a week on The Simpsons. He also vacations in Honduras. Yes, this is a very interesting guy. He also has a podcast about his travel adventures called, are you ready? What am I doing here? Well, here is where he is this week and next. Mike Reese, my guest on Hollywood and Levine. So, Mike, you've been with The Simpsons for like 30 years? You know what? I just... Literally two minutes ago, just closed the deal for my 31st year. I just got the email that I'll be going back this year. And every year, it's kind of touch and go. You know, I know some people, especially at Fox, don't like... uh, There are those of us who just come in one day a week now, and they go, why are they there? So... Every year I kind of, I sweat it, but uh, I just made the deal. So, yeah, I've been well, there. When I think about it, to just let the sentence go by, well, you've been with The Simpsons for 30 years, is like letting the sentence go by, well, you had a summer home on Mars. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that's amazing to be on the same show for 30 years. And we'll get back to The Simpsons, but I want to start at the beginning because I'm always fascinated how every writer breaks in differently. And when you started, you had a partner, Al Jean. And how did you two meet? We, uh, we were roommates in college. We, we, are, we, we are some of the early Harvard guys who wound up invading Hollywood. But we, we were roommates in college, and Al was going to be a doctor. Al Jean was going to be a doctor. He was... He's a brilliant genius, and he got into Harvard at age 16, and he was going to finish in three years and go to med school. And I went to Harvard. I really hated the place. I just went there because they had a humor magazine, Harvard Lampoon. Harvard Lampoon. And 
back in those days, it wasn't like that led you to another job. I just said, this is, this sounds like fun. I'll join the humor magazine and then I'll become a lawyer. And, uh, so I joined the humor magazine and it was really fun and very exciting. And Al as my roommate saw that I was enjoying it. And so he joined too. And this was just something, you know, he never had any interest in comedy or anything like that, but he just put that magnificent brain of his to work studying comedy, and uh, he he had he did great, and he got on the lampoon. Very hard to get on the lampoon, uh, you know. It's, it's a competition, and they only take about seven out of every hundred people who try out. But he was a slam dunk, and so we were on the magazine together. And one night, because we were roommates, we're in our bunk beds, and we just started talking about magic books we had read as kids and it started sounding funny and we said we should write an article about this and that was the first collaboration we ever had we wrote an article called spooky magic and just to jump ahead that's that article got the attention of national lampoon magazine national lampoon magazine called us said we love this spooky magic and i said you read the Harvard Typhoon? <laughs> and they said, we've been reading it for years. We never saw anything funny before. So <laughs> while we were in college, we were freelancing for National Lampoon. And then we graduated and they hired us right out of college to work there. So, that, so how did you get from the National Lampoon, which I assume was in New York? It was in New to- York writing comedy in L.A.? Because you wrote on a lot of shows prior to The Simpsons. We'll touch on some of those. So how did you make the uh, East to West Coast jump? It was an amazing thing. We Everything in my career uh, I achieved because these two guys named Max Frost and Tom Gamble turned them down. Everybody <laughs> loved these guys. These you know, guys- it's interesting you say that because I asked them to be on the podcast and they weren't available. <laughs> that's a, they're the greatest guys in the world they were a year ahead of us in college and everybody loves them they're talented writers and they're a joy to be around and they get all these offers and they turn down so many of them and they always say uh, try mike and al and al and i have never turned down anything that's the secret to our success so um they got a job offer to work on the movie Airplane 2, Airplane 2, which most people consider the better airplane movie. Uh, so they got this offer, and they said, no, again, well, we don't want to do it. Uh, try Mike and Al. And uh, so Al and I were sending in jokes from New York uh, to Airplane 2, which was shooting in Hollywood. And one night they called us on a Sunday. They said, can you be out here tomorrow? And we again, we said, yeah. And it was a real dick move on our part because, they, we, you know, we had a nice job at National Lampoon, but we just walked in Monday morning, quit our jobs, ran out on our leases, flew out to L.A., and we were on the set of Airplane 2 the next morning. And, so, you know, suddenly we were in Hollywood. And uh, we just worked and worked on this thing and... Then the movie came out and it was kind of a dud and nobody wanted to hire us. So Al and I, we were suddenly alone out in Hollywood. Oh, this would be a funny story. Let me tell this one. We're out in Hollywood. 
We don't know a soul. We don't have any money. We got no jobs. We got no prospects. Uh, we wrote a cheer spec and our agent looked at this. He said, this will kill your career. I'm not going to send this to anybody. <laughs> and it was funny because it's the kind of thing I thought I'm thinking about almost 40 years later. I go, that was a pretty good script. He probably, he probably. I'm just relieved that. that you weren't going to say, oh, and, and you rejected it. No, it wasn't you. No, it never got, it never got out of the agent's office. And I'm, I don't know what he hated about it. I thought it was pretty good. But anyway, this is kind of the funny story. This is how we got into TV was uh, we, uh, so we're living in LA. We don't know anyone. And this is the days of just, there's no internet. There's, uh, there weren't even VHS tapes. There was nothing. You just had. Were there phones then? There were phones and there was TV, but no VCRs. You just had to watch what was on TV at the time. I mean, I could have read a book, but come on. So so the only thing that got me through the week was uh, watching this show Wednesday nights called 9 to 5. And you know, everybody remembers, oh, it was, a, it was a pretty good movie from the 80s. And it became the worst TV show I'd ever seen in my life. The show 9 to 5, and it starred, uh, what's her name? Rita Moreno, who was very good. And instead of Dolly Parton, they had Dolly Parton's cousin, who wasn't an actress. She just she was just Dolly Parton's cousin. And instead of Jane Fonda, they had uh, a hairspray model. So this show, this got me through the week, was watching 9 to 5. And I, it was like my church. I would buy a big quart of beer, and it was sort of a special moment in the week to watch 9 to 5. <laughs> And then, like, a couple of weeks later, we get a call from 9 to 5. They said, we want to meet with you. And uh, we go in for the meeting, and they start explaining, well, this is a show about three women living together in Cleveland, and they have a son who sleeps on a shelf over the kitchen sink. And I go, yeah, and they work in a factory that makes knife blocks, and uh, the, the, it's owned by an Icelandic man. And they go, how do you know this? And I go, I watch your show every week. And they go, We've never met anyone who's watched our show before. You're hired. <laughs> so that was my first sitcom job. I got hired at 9 to 5. And, oh, it was people you know were working there. Dave Hackle uh, was on the show. It was, it was, a, it was a, such a great education in TV that here was the worst show I ever saw, and yet it had these very good writers working on it. But it had a terrible, terrible couple of showrunners and, just the shaky premise, and nothing could overcome that. That's like when I was doing baseball, and uh, I would come in contact with Bob Euchre, and yeah. I used to say to him, and he had a great sense of humor, he was very self-deprecating, and I would say, you know, you starred in Mr. Belvedere for like four years on ABC, I don't know a single person who ever watched an episode of Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> yeah, that was it. We made a joke when I worked on the show Sledgehammer, where said a guy, yeah, I may have written where they call someone. What are you? What were you doing the night of Thursday, thirteen? I was watching Mr. Belvedere. That's a lie. So, <laughs> of course, Mr. Belvedere, we were on the same network, much higher rated show than Split Camera was. But uh, 
Anyway, so I'm working on the worst show I'd ever seen in my life. And then we got fired. Al and I got fired, I think, 11 weeks into a 13-week contract. So we weren't even good enough to work on the worst show ever. <laughs> Why'd you get fired? They just didn't think you were funny enough or you were too that funny the, or you that, didn't write Dolly Parton's cousin correctly? I know. You know, we wrote a good... They let us write one script, which... You know, the network moved it up to be the season premiere. The network liked the show. They said we were quiet in the room. We were quiet. And, you know, as as stupid as it all was and as bad as the experience was, it was a good lesson for Al and me not to be quiet in the room. And after that, you know, we learned what you have to do in TV, which is just pitch, 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 and don't be afraid if it's bad. So we pitched a lot. But... Mostly, I think we were sort of sacrificed. I think it was, you know, the show was so terrible, the ratings were terrible, and they came to them and said, fire somebody. So you do what almost every show does. We'll fire the new guys. They're clearly, these guys who have been here for 11 weeks are the reason this show has sucked for four years. We'll get back to more of Mike Reese in a moment, but first a word about every plate. Now, if you're like me, you spent the pandemic eating at home night after night after night after night. And we had a lot of chicken, and I like chicken, and we tried to prepare it some different ways. And we kind of had uh, a running joke. We called it chicken with hats. Uh, what hat are we going to put on the chicken tonight? And even though we like the various recipes... You know, after 14, 15 months, you just get tired of them. And then, thank God, we got involved with Every Plate. Now, Every Plate is the home meal kit that is better and cheaper. One meal, one meal is the cost of a cup of coffee. Now, circling back to chicken, they had a number of chicken recipes, a number of hats that we have not worn, including my personal favorite, sweet chili chicken. They give you all the ingredients. It takes about 30 minutes to prepare. You get 14 different recipes per week. It really is a great, great deal. And I want you to try every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off your next two boxes by going to everyplate.com and entering the code Hollywood199 as in $1.99. So get started with every plate for just $1.99 per meal, plus an additional 20% off another two weeks by going to everyplate.com and entering the promo code HOLLYWOOD199. Once again, that is everyplate.com. HOLLYWOOD199 is the code. And... uh Start eating some chicken with better hats. Again, I recommend the sweet chili chicken. Well, it seems like you failed upward because you worked on It's Gary Shandling's show. Yes, that was another job. We got that because Max and Tom were working there and they uh, they wanted to go and uh, recommended us. So we kind of came in as they were leaving. And that was that was a very interesting show. It uh, it was the next to the lowest rated show on TV, uh, just above the Tracy Allman show. <laughs> we were number ninety nine and a hundred. Well, then we were a hundred because we wrote on the Tracy Allman show, so yeah. you beat us. That was it. It was very 
for, for the next to the lowest rated show on TV, it it has this amazing DNA leading right to the Sims. Sam Simon worked on Gary Shandling's show. Uh, Jay Kogan and Wally Waladarski were PAs there. They used to get people's lunch. Wow. And what was it like working with Gary Shandling? Gary, you know, he, I, I, he was, you know, a very, very nice man. Very nice man. And, you know, he was a writer, first and foremost. He reminded me of, other, you know, he had started off as a sitcom writer, and he wrote a lot of Sanford and Sons. And, you know, he had that temperament of a writer and that sort of the, the shattered ego of a writer. But as a boss, he was literally impossible. And I mean literally impossible. You could not please the guy. You Nothing you ever pitched him ever worked for him. No joke ever made him happy. Nothing, nothing worked for him. And part of it was, I think, this notion he knew if he had the time and if he wasn't distracted, he could do better. And, you know, if he lived um, longer, I think he would have been perfect for modern TV where, you know, he could have done a show where they would have given him all the time in the world and you know, he could just make six in two years and write and direct them all. But the fact that he had to work with other people made it very, very hard. So that's what he was, you know, a, a tough, tough guy to work for, a very tough guy to please. Uh, it was, and the hours were insanely long. And uh, we always had fun. It was funny people there. And Alan's White Bell ran the show and he was always a pleasure, but... God, it just it just was endless. Did you talk to the Queen over the last oh wait, I'm sorry. This is that's an Oprah question. (laughs) (laughs) You also did uh, the Tonight Show for five minutes, right? And not necessarily the news. So not just comedy. (laughs) Yes, they were not just sitcom comedy. Not just sit well no, I like what you said the first time. And especially we Oprah would not have made that mistake, yeah. or they would edit it out. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, the Carson job. Uh, uh, it was funny. It was again. We got recommended for that job from the boss at National Lampoon, who we had just run out on, and just you know, it's a real. I, I don't think I would forgive somebody who did this, but he did, or maybe it was to punish us. We got this job at the Tonight Show, and that was a fascinating thing you know we it was really at the darkest days of that show like season 26 i would say and johnny was just this miserable man he never wanted to see the writers i worked there a year and a half and maybe spend 90 minutes in his presence he erected walls on the sides of the stage so he wouldn't have to see the writers backstage wow he was going through a divorce. Uh, it, what was sort of interesting was we were pre, Al and I were pre-hired. You know, the head writer hired us off of sample material we submitted, but he said you have to have an interview with Carson. He insists on interviewing you, not knowing this would be the first and last time we ever saw him. But we uh, we go into his office, and his office was set up like the Tonight Show, and. Al and I sit on the couch and Johnny sits behind his desk and he interviewed us for 11 minutes and 
he said something and we laughed. And then if, if he could have cut to a commercial, he would have done that. <laughs> it was clear this was the man's success was that's what he could do. He could talk to anybody for 11 minutes and no more. And what did he ask you? Like, when did your movie come out or? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just asked us about meeting in college and he goes, are you still in college? And again, not a great joke, but we laughed and then he wrapped it up and, uh, but uh, he was very amiable, very handsome in person. Very, you know, we all know, oh, he's, he's kind of a good-looking guy. He looked very strong, and uh, he was in, like, a, a, a sleeveless T-shirt. It was very weird to see him that way. But that was the man. So we, so we worked there for when – and when we got hired, again, uh, the head writer said, well, welcome aboard. You're going to be fired in 13 weeks. And – we were in this, again, sacrificial spot where whoever came in got fired in 13 weeks. And we hung in there for a year and a half. And then they finally fired us. And then two weeks later, they offered us our jobs back. And it was like, well, what did we learn in the past two weeks? But uh, <laughs> we, we had already moved on to something else. So that was, was Bob that Smith was there when you were there? Pardon me? Was Bob Smith a writer uh, there? Well, no, he would come around. He would come. I, I know Bob, and he would stop by. This is an interesting story, uh, which was, you know, when the Writers Guild goes on strike, uh, every once in a while they will have a picket line of just mm-hmm. every writer in town, 6,000 writers. Right. Everyone who ever fired you, you, yeah. you pass them like once every 15 minutes. Yeah, and it was and it was like, come on out and pick it. This is the only, you know, sunlight you will get this year. And so I was on the Tonight Show during one of these strikes. And so here's the eight Tonight Show writers picketing. And we meet some Tonight Show writers who had just been fired. And they joined the group. And they saw more Tonight Show writers from before them. And pretty soon there were literally like 60 or 80 Tonight Show writers, Johnny Carson writers, <laughs> marching together. And I just looked at this mob and go, this is what it takes to kind of prop up a TV legend. You know, it takes it takes an army to make this one guy, you know, sporadically funny. Wow. I- yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we- how, how did you eventually get to The Simpsons? Uh, it was... <laughs> You know the story by now. It was uh, <laughs> again. They didn't want to do it, huh? Max and Tom. Max and Tom. There was funny. We, we uh, I think we were on a summer break from It's Gary Shandling show. We were between seasons, and Alan's White Bell was starting up a new sitcom called The Boys, and this was a sitcom like set at the Friars Club, and it had it starred Norm Crosby and Norman Fell. It was a two Norman show. And I wanted to work on it. I said, this is a show I could really fit in on. And he wouldn't hire us. We didn't get hired on the boys. And so Max and Tom were hired on the boys. And at the same time, Sam Simon was starting The Simpsons. And he'd known them from Shandling's show. So he says, will you come work on The Simpsons? And they go, "Uh, we're working on the boys. They turned on The Simpsons to work on this Showtime sitcom. And they said, you know, we've got these friends, Mike and Al. And so that was it. We got hired on that first 
first pre-season of The Simpsons. It was just a summer job making The Simpsons. And the whole summer, I'm bitter because I have to work on this cartoon show instead of writing for Norm Crosby. <laughs> and that was and that was it. And we just we just had no expectations for the show. We we just had fun. We didn't work that hard that summer. It was certainly much easier than the Shandling show. And we we spent the summer making the show. And at the end of the summer, I had to go back and do another season at It's Gary Shandling Show, where I'm working 90 hours a week on a show that had already been canceled. By that point, the show was canceled, and we were just making these shows to go nowhere. And at the time, at the same time, I'm working making these Shandling shows, The Simpsons debuts, and becomes just the biggest hit of the land. And I'm there stuck on The Shandling Show making shows no one will see. So as soon as that finally wrapped, I went back to The Simpsons, and there I've been ever since. Well, those early days were an awful lot of fun, and yeah. uh, and we weren't getting paid very much. I remember writing scripts at the time. We were still getting Saturday morning cartoon rates <laughs> Wow! for writing those episodes. But yeah, it was a fairly small group. And we all were just having a, a great time. Talk a little bit about working with Sam, because Sam, to me, was the heart and soul of The Simpsons. And he gets credit, but I don't think he gets enough credit for what he brought to that show. Yeah, Sam, he, I considered him the most able practitioner of sitcoms I ever saw where it just it would just sort of pour out of him you would work but it was always kind of fun and one thing he did that I'd never seen before maybe you've seen it is we'd just be sort of sitting in the room dictating the script and uh you know the writer's assistant is taking it all down this is before we did it on computer monitors and we just get to, and he say, all right, that's an act break. And we dictate, we do it in like three days. And then they type up the script and it was in perfect shape. In other words, it was three 15 minute acts. And I go, how did he know? He was never looking at the pages. It just, but so that was it. He always made it fun. We were always just kind of screwing around. And then it just became this show. It became this, everything worked out on it. But, uh, yeah, that was a show we would always just bail on work in the middle of the day and see whatever movie was coming out. And it's, it is the only show where we would work together and then hang out together. All the writers would go out and see a movie and have dinner. It wasn't just you'd work and then get out of there. When did Conan join? Conan, I, uh, I hired Conan. Uh, it was when Jay Cote and Wally Waladarski were leaving. It's, a, it's pretty interesting. They were the first, you know, we did the show for the first three or four years with the same core group of writers. And we did it with like six writers, which was not enough. I mean, now we do it with 20 writers. So six writers and we just worked nonstop. And so Jay and Wally were leaving and uh, we needed to find someone to come in and fit, fit in this tight team that had been working so closely together. And Al and I recommended a writer we knew named Paul Sims. 
And I think Sam met Paul Sims and turned him down. And so Paul went off, he created the show News Radio mm-hmm. and made a fortune. So that was the greatest thing that ever happened to Paul Sims. And, uh, and then we said, well, we know this crazy guy from college named Conan. And uh, Conan he was, was on the Lampoon as well. He was on the Harvard Lampoon. He w- it was interesting. He was not our contemporary. He's five years younger than us. But I think we were living in New York. And someone just called us from the Lampoon. They said, we just elected this guy to the staff. That's like nothing we've ever seen. And so I got on a train. We went up to Boston just to meet Conan O'Brien, this 18-year-old kid. And he was just that guy. The guy you see on TV 40 years later was that Conan. He was fully formed. He was just kind of maniacally funny. And uh, so we... We first, we helped him get a job. This is pretty funny. We helped him get a job at not necessarily the news. That was our our first TV job, that was a sketch show on HBO. And uh, they had hired us there, and they liked us there. And the, the showrunner, Pat Lee, said, are there any more of you at Harvard? We said, yeah, you know, they're cranking them out pretty frequently. This is, I think, what started the Lampoon Deluge in Hollywood was – Every year, she would just hire a new team out of the Harvard Lampoon. So Rob Lezevnik, uh, who writes for The Simpsons for 25 years, uh, he his first job was in Not Necessarily the News. And then the next year, she hired the team of Greg Daniels and Conan O'Brien. And she's they got were a team? Two, they were a writing team. They're earning scale at Not Necessarily the News. And they got fired. There's a lot of those stories, and they got fired. They they have these two geniuses working together. We're not worth splitting scale at that show. Yeah, Greg Daniels went on to do The Office and right. Parks and Rec. Yeah, and, well, yeah, he did okay for himself. He's doing okay. Yeah, they were funny. They were, they were very affable guys. And that is part one of my two-part interview with Mike Reese. Now, next week, we get into more of his vacationing in Honduras, as well as uh, interesting stories like he was asked to audition for the Steve Carell part in The Office. Well, needless to say, he didn't get it. Anyway, that's part two next week with Mike Reese. As always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller, and I'm available if you want to email me, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Also on Twitter, at Ken Levine. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Stay safe. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Hollywood and Levine.